Hello and welcome to Forest Fires. My name is John Clark. In episode 5 of Forest Fires, we're going to be talking about relationships, boundaries, and codependency. All dirty words as far as I'm concerned because they were all things that I struggled with, particularly in my early recovery. I don't intend to seem like I'm an expert at any of this, and as a result of that, I continue to have my struggles as far as relationships are concerned. So in this episode, we're going to talk about several of those concepts and some of the uphill battles that you may find yourself facing as you approach and go through your recovery. But before we get into that, I wanted to take an opportunity to say thank you to all the people that have tuned in, have downloaded the podcast, who've listened, who have shared their suggestions, their thoughts, their opinions, and their ideas. A few days ago, I had a conversation with a good friend of mine in recovery. I've had the opportunity to know this person through the darkest parts of their disease up until where they are now. Uh, I've literally had the opportunity to watch the uh, wet blanket of addiction get lifted off of them and allow them to engage in life freely and joyfully. But when I was talking to this person the other day, they shared with me their thoughts on the podcast and indicated that the podcast to them felt like it was just a conversation between two addicts, two alcoholics, that when they listened into the episode, they believed that they had the feeling that they were just talking with me. They related it to an experience that many of us have had in the recovery setting of a conversation in a smoking hut or a conversation on a park bench or a conversation somewhere uh, on a rehab campus where two alcoholics who don't truly know each other all that well sit down and for whatever reason, together they are able to drop some of the deep, dark, ugly parts of their life that they had promised years before that they weren't going to let go of, that they would never think about again or never mention. I don't mean to discredit or devalue the treatment experience in a treatment facility. I mean, I work in a treatment facility, so I have seen the blessings and the benefits that come from it. But I think one of the things that is a elemental part of a treatment facility, obviously the community of people that are there, oftentimes some of the most profound, some of the best healing takes place not in a group setting. It doesn't happen in a classroom. It happens when two alcoholics, both of whom are struggling with their disease, sit down and share their experience with each other. Many times there are laughs. Sometimes there are tears. But in all occasions that I have seen where two people sit down and trust each other enough to share, there's been healing and development. For us as men, the concept of sharing our emotions is not just foreign. It's actually something that we've been taught not to do. Our culture seems to celebrate the quote-unquote strong, silent type. 
a man who works with his hands, who builds things, who does things, but doesn't share his emotions. A man who just sucks it up, or as my dad liked to say, puts some dirt on it. But what we realize is this culture of toxic masculinity, this culture where we're taught not to share our emotions has kept us sick. A culture where we've been taught to pretend that we're okay even when we are so clearly not has kept us in a perpetual cycle of disease and sickness. In the recovery rooms, you often hear the phrase said that we're only as sick as the secrets that we keep. And I think I've mentioned it on previous podcasts, but in the beginning, I thought that was, you know, the secrets of things that we had done during our addiction. And yes, it could mean that. But oftentimes, it's the secret that we're not okay today, that we don't feel our best. The secret that maybe we need a little bit more encouragement than what we're getting. The secret that we keep to ourselves that we're sad or depressed or lonely. Those secrets that we keep, keep us sick. But somehow, some way, by sharing those secrets out loud, they become less heavy. They become more manageable. And we become able to carry them better. So to the individual that shared with me his opinions on the podcast and shared that this was about or it seemed to be a conversation. That's exactly the intent. At no point in time have I ever intended to suggest that I am really good at making a podcast because I'm not really good at making a podcast. My entire intention behind this was to have a conversation with those people that are out there that are struggling. That those people that need a kind word, a bit of encouragement. For those of us that are in recovery that need a reminder of why we're doing all of this hard work. So as long as that keeps working, I'm going to keep doing this. But in today's episode, episode 5 of Forest Fires, we're going to be talking about boundaries, relationships, and codependency. Before we can really talk about those things, we have to understand what the words actually mean. What is a boundary? What is a relationship? And what are codependent characteristics? Before we can actually even get to the definition, though, we have to understand what, we, what and how we have learned about these things. As children, we learn how to talk, learn language, learn how to communicate through other people. The things we hear our parents say and the people that surround us as young children, these are the things that we tend to repeat. We tend to take on the behaviors of other people. We learn, we adapt, and we create. Therefore, if we grew up in homes that didn't have strong relationships, we may not see the value of relationships as we grow older. If we grew up in homes where codependency was just a part of life, something that we saw as normal, we find ourselves becoming codependent adults that are incapable of expressing our own wants and needs to others. 
And if we grew up in households that were filled with unhealthy boundaries, we find ourselves struggling with the concept of boundaries as we get older. For the purposes of recovery, for the purposes of this podcast, boundaries are those things that we will tolerate. Those things that we are able to accept in life. For me, certain boundaries are that I need to be respected by somebody that I am with. That if someone's going to treat me with disrespect, I don't necessarily need them in my life. A boundary for me is that if someone wants to judge me based on my past, they don't deserve to be a part of my future. A boundary for me today, a healthy boundary, is that because I live a life in recovery, absent alcohol and drugs, I cannot have a strong relationship with someone that continues to use despite the harmful consequences. Setting boundaries for ourselves is not just about the external. Sometimes it's also about the emotional, how we're talked to, how we allow others to talk to us, and also how we talk to ourselves. In one of the prior podcasts, I believe I mentioned that studies have shown that human beings have in excess of 6,000 thoughts per day. I've also said that for many of us as alcoholics and addicts, There is very little that someone can say to us that offends us or insults us because we have said some of the most horrible and horrendous things about ourselves to ourselves. No one can insult me as bad as I have insulted myself. Throughout the day, laying in bed at night, whatever else it may be, some of the things that I have repeated to myself have been horrible and I would not say them to my worst enemy. So if we have roughly 6,000 thoughts per day and the majority of our thoughts are negative about ourselves, then our outward countenance, our behaviors, they in turn will be negative. One of the things about setting boundaries is that we accept how we are. we, We teach other people, if you will, how we are treated, how we will be treated. If we accept disrespect, if we accept bad behavior from other people when it comes to us, then in a a way we are setting our own boundary. We are allowing those people to do it. Throughout my life, I have felt like a victim many times. But what I had to come to the realization of is that no one can victimize me without my consent. Every single person that has taken advantage of my kindness, every single person that has taken me for granted, every single person that has verbally or physically or emotionally abused me have done so because I allowed them to. It is one thing to have an issue once. It is another thing to have the same issue repeatedly. And that's what I did. I was so desperately clinging to relationships because at the root of it, my fear was being alone. So I clung to toxic relationships, allowed behaviors that were not only 
detrimental to me, but were toxic to not just my recovery, but to my very well-being. And the reason I did this was because I was afraid of losing people and I was afraid of being alone. When we set boundaries with other people, we teach them how to treat us. What are we willing to accept? In my experience in recovery, both personally and in working in a treatment setting, I can tell you that establishing boundaries is one of the most difficult things that you will do in your recovery. Because oftentimes, the boundaries that we need to set are with people that are loved ones. Moms, dads, husbands, wives, brothers and sisters. How do we tell someone that has been in our life and will be in our life for the remainder that we can no longer tolerate certain things? How they talk to us, how they treat us. And the answer isn't black and white. There is no one-size-fits-all answer that will teach you how to establish boundaries. But I can assure you, as you listen to this, if you are struggling with boundaries, you already know that you are struggling with boundaries. You don't need to be reminded of the fact that you allow other people to take advantage of you. You don't need to be reminded of the fact that other people continue to take from you. And you allow it. But what you do need to be reminded of is the fact that you have the absolute power to stop it anytime you want to. Certainly, there's going to be pushback from the other side. And there will always be someone who tests your boundaries. But it is your responsibility solely to establish those boundaries. Because if you're not willing to establish them, nobody else is going to be willing to set them for you. Moreover, once you've established what your boundaries are, it is solely dependent upon you to uphold those boundaries. If you allow people to treat you poorly, to victimize you, to speak harshly of you, if you allow that, then you're not setting the boundary. You're not upholding your own. You cannot ask other people to respect a boundary that you're not even capable of respecting yourself. So setting boundaries isn't just important and it doesn't just have to do with the recovery community. It has to do with everyone. It has to do with every aspect of your life. What is your work-life balance? Do you take work phone calls when you're at home doing things that shouldn't be work-related? You have a poor boundary. Do you allow people to bring up parts of your past that you have long since outgrown? If so, you need to work on that boundary. One of the parts that makes setting boundaries difficult is the very simple reality that relationships in and of themselves are difficult. It's important to understand that many of us as alcoholics and addicts, we're good at making a living. But we're not good at making lives. Relationships are hard for us. Long-term relationships or relationships that seem to last beyond the drink or the drug or the entertainment for the evening are hard for us to find. The reason that is, at least in my perception, is that relationships require honesty. They require trust and they require effort. 
conscious and intentional effort. An inherent reality of addiction and alcoholism is dishonesty. I'm not saying that you are a liar, but I'm saying that I was a liar. I was dishonest to countless people throughout my active addiction. I told lies. I told manipulations. I omitted the truth. Because again, I was afraid of losing people. And if they heard the truth, I was afraid they might leave me. Because at the root of me, I am deathly afraid of being alone. Not only are we, or am I, dishonest with other people, but oftentimes those of us who suffer from alcoholism and addiction are unconscionably dishonest with ourselves. If you can't be honest with yourself, it is impossible for you to be honest with someone else because you cannot give away something that you do not have. Of all the people that I have lied to in my life, of all the people that I have manipulated, of all the people that I have hurt, the number one person that I lied to was me. I was incapable of seeing how sick I was. Because for me to get honest with myself, I had to acknowledge the fact that I couldn't do it all on my own. I had tried and I had failed repeatedly. I had to get honest enough with myself to realize that I needed help. Because... For me, I wanted to ignore the problem and hope that it would go away. But addiction and alcoholism are not the common cold. They will not go away if we simply ignore them. They progressively get worse. They progressively grow and they begin to impact not just us, but our work life, our family life, and all of those things that we're connected to. So the key to having healthy boundaries is to, number one, be able to establish healthy relationships. But if we can't establish healthy relationships, how are we ever supposed to have boundaries? And without honesty, we can't ever have a healthy relationship. But to develop healthy relationships, it literally is an inside job. It must start with you. You have to get honest enough with yourself to acknowledge what's going right in your life and what's going wrong. And don't get me wrong. When I talk about being honest with yourself, I'm not suggesting that all that you do is talk about how bad that you are or how many people that you've hurt. Yes, it's important to acknowledge what our shortcomings are, and it's important to acknowledge the people that we've hurt or damaged along the way. But it's also important to realize that your disease is a liar. Your disease has placed blinders on you and made you incapable of seeing the good parts of you. For many of us, it has been years since we were able to have a positive self-thought. Since we were able to actually see our true benefits and talents. Many of us exist in a public light or in a public career and people compliment us. But for some of you out there, you know what it feels like to accept a compliment. And at the exact same time that you accept it, to have the voice inside of your own head say, they don't even know who I am. 
If they knew how bad I was, they wouldn't compliment me. If they knew all of the horrible things that I had done, not only would they not compliment me, but they wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. Your disease wants to keep you in that train of thought. Your disease wants you to continue to see yourself as unredeemable, as lacking value. And it's simply not true. Each and every one of you that are listening to this podcast, if you are honest with yourself, you have done something today that is good and beneficial. Maybe it's not the best thing that could have been done. Maybe you can do better. But the truth is, at some point in time today, you have done something right. Yet our disease wants us to believe that we never do anything right. That we never do anything that is beneficial to those people that surround us. I have watched men who've lost their children who claim that to themselves that they were horrible fathers. And yes, it may be true. Your actions have not been the best. But in most cases, your heart was in the right place, but your actions weren't capable of matching it. Being able to understand and accept what we actually bring to the table, our true value that we have, will help us to establish healthy relationships and be able to establish solid, healthy boundaries. In my early recovery, you could have called me a lot of names. You could have called me a liar, a cheat, a manipulator, a cheater. And all of those things would have been true. You could have insulted me in any way that you wanted to, and it would have bothered me less than had you called me codependent. The phrase codependency still to this day is like nails on a chalkboard to me. I hate thinking of myself as codependent, but I am. And the truth of the matter is, I have never met an alcoholic or an addict or the loved one of an alcoholic and or an addict that didn't suffer from some level of codependency. Because codependency pops up in a lot of different forms, and it has been in that different form for me in many ways. Codependency exists when we make our happiness dependent upon someone else. Like, I can't be happy because my significant other isn't happy. Or they make me happy. Codependency can be in the form of enabling behaviors. Where you may have enabled someone else, keeping them from their bottom, keeping them from harming themselves, and then you take on the role of protector. I have been what's called, an, at least in the Al-Anon rooms, I am what's called a double winner. Because not only have I had the great fortune of being an alcoholic, I've had the great fortune of loving an alcoholic. I can assure you, without any hesitation, that being an alcoholic and an addict was way easier than loving an alcoholic or an addict. Because when you love an alcoholic or an addict that is in active addiction, 
You have to watch as they commit slow daily suicide every single day, and you can't do a damn thing to stop it. I've never seen anything more cruel and unusual in my life. Yet, not only did I subject myself to it as someone who loved another alcoholic and an addict, but I did it to other people as well. Codependency will keep us sick as much as anything else will. You have to understand that your happiness is no one else's responsibility. It is yours and yours alone. You have to quit saying that so-and-so made me unhappy. Nobody in this world has the ability to make you unhappy. Nobody on this planet has the ability to make you angry. Nobody on this planet has the ability to make you feel like a victim. That is, unless you allow them. You have to understand that your unhappiness is your fault. You have to understand that your anger is about you, not about them. And you have to understand that the reason you feel dissatisfied with your life is no one else's fault. Codependency turns us into victims where we begin to blame everybody around us for what's wrong with us or how we feel. You blame your spouse or your significant other because they're not treating you the right way. When you came home from treatment, they didn't throw you a ticker tape parade and slap you on the back and tell you how proud you were of them or they were of you. Your expectations weren't met and that's your fault, not theirs. Codependency exists when we put other people's needs ahead of our own well-being. And that's hard for us as addicts and alcoholics because we believe the opposite of selfishness is to give everything to someone else. Because let's face it, alcoholics and addicts, a characteristic of the disease is brutal selfishness. We do what we want when we want to satisfy our needs despite the consequences or the dangers or the impact it might have on someone else. For those of us that have actually lived this life, you know what I'm talking about. The people that begged you not to get drunk at the function, but you did what you did because it was right for you. The folks that have begged you to slow down your drinking, but you feel entitled to do so because you have a hard job, because you had a hard day, because you had a bad day. Selfishness is an inherent reality in addiction. We make those people that love us watch as we commit that slow daily suicide that I described earlier. And if that's not selfish, I don't know what it is. To tell someone that you love them, to tell someone that you care for them, but then to make them watch as you kill yourself. But you have to also understand that the opposite of selfishness isn't recovery. It isn't giving everything that we have to other people. Self-care is not selfish. It is essential. When we put ourselves first 
in the assembly line of the day, we're not disregarding the other people. We are making sure that we are satisfied enough to be able to actually help other people. I describe it simply as this. For many years, many of us filled up everybody else's glass. We started out the day with a pitcher full of whatever you might want to put in there. Lemonade, water, tea. For my sake, it'll be lemonade. Every day you woke up with a full pitcher of lemonade. And you started your day out and you filled up everybody else's glass because you didn't want to fill yours first because that would be selfish. And at the end of the day, there wasn't quite enough in that pitcher to give yourself a full glass of lemonade. And after you finished the little bit that you had, you found that you were still thirsty. So you supplemented it with alcohol or drugs. As time passed, you continued to wake up each morning with that pitcher of lemonade. But what you began to realize is that as you filled up everybody else's glass first, there was less and less for you at the end of the day. So you began to drink more and use more to supplement what you didn't have. And then something happened along the way where you no longer had enough in the picture to even fill the other people's glasses up anymore. And they began to look at you and blame you for what you couldn't do for them. Filling your glass first isn't selfish. It puts you in the position to be able to, able to provide for and help those people that mean something to you in your life. A common phrase that you'll hear uttered in any 12-step room that you go to is anything that you put ahead of your recovery, you will lose. And that has been proven more times than I can count. I have watched people who put their work ahead of their recovery, who put a relationship ahead of their recovery, who put anything ahead of their recovery. And not only did they lose that which they put ahead of their recovery, they lost everything. When we start our days by taking care of ourselves and our needs first, we begin to break down the detrimental effects of codependency. When we begin to realize that our happiness is our responsibility and no one else's, we loosen the grips that codependency has upon us. When we begin to realize that relationships aren't just words, they're not just connections that we have with other people. Relationships require work. They require presence. And they require conscious effort daily to grow. Because a relationship that isn't growing is dying. And a relationship that is dying can become toxic. Additionally, when we begin to have healthy boundaries, healthy relationships, and break the ties to codependency, we find that we ourselves feel more free, more satiated, and we don't need the supplementation of alcohol and drugs. Many of us have used for various different reasons, but it's often been said that the reason we drank or the reason that we drugged is because we wanted to either feel more or feel less. 
When we begin to have healthy boundaries, healthy relationships, and interdependency rather than codependency, we begin to realize that the way we feel is good. It's okay. We don't need more. We don't need less. It's important to realize that if you're struggling with any of the issues, be them relationships or be them boundaries or be them codependency, that things don't change overnight. For most of you that suffer from some form of alcoholism or addiction, you didn't become alcoholics or addicts overnight. It took years, for many of us, decades. It is illogical to assume that if you have had decades in the making of your disease, that you're going to be cured from it in days. Well, I personally don't believe that alcoholism and or addiction can be cured. We can maintain a healthy lifestyle. We can put our disease in remission. But it's only through constant, intentional effort. But many of us, we want five years of recovery before we've celebrated five days of recovery. And unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. It has taken us years to develop the poor relationship skills, the poor boundary skills, and the codependency issues that we have. And it's going to take time to get past them. The question isn't, are you perfect? Because you're not nor am I, nor will I ever be. I don't have perfect relationships. I don't maintain my boundaries perfectly. And there are still sometimes to this day when I find myself dipping my toes in the codependent water. The question isn't perfection. It's are you acknowledging and recognizing your faults? the areas that need improvement. And if you are recognizing them, if you are identifying areas that need work, are you actually working on them? A man that is willing to recognize his own shortcomings and overcome them is stronger than a man who pretends that he doesn't have them. There is no true strength that comes from the strong, silent type that we have been sold. That is a quick way to maintain our disease and to kill us that much faster. So in the upcoming days and weeks in your recovery experience, use the 10th step every night, which asks us to take a personal inventory of ourselves. And in that personal inventory, ask yourself the question, are you a little better today than you were yesterday? If the answer to that is yes, congratulations. Work harder tomorrow. And if the answer to that is no, if you find yourself being less than you were the day before, if you find yourself having failed more than you did the day before, if you find yourself not living up to your own expectations of yourself, congratulations. Try harder tomorrow. Perfection is a delusion. It will not and cannot exist because we as human beings are imperfect creatures. The goal should be improvement. 
And so long as we're willing to identify the areas of ourself that need improvement, the sky is the limit. Again, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, I appreciate more than anyone can quite understand the people that have listened in, who have supported me, who have shared the podcast with other people. For us in the recovery community, it is our solemn responsibility to share our experience, strength, and hope with other people. Not only do we help others when we share our experience, strength, and hope, but we help ourselves. Using the lemonade analogy that I used a little earlier, this podcast fills my cup up first and thus allows me to fill others up. And as much as it doesn't make sense, when I fill my glass up first, I seem to have more of that lemonade to pass around. Make this week a week where you choose to help other people. Make this a week where you choose to acknowledge your own faults, frailties, and limitations and seek to improve them. Thank you for tuning in.